today, I'm going to be talking a little bit about how discipling and disciple-making is intentional, not accidental. Now, there are great things that can happen by accident, really, really good things. I'm going to mention a few of them right now. The microwave oven, <laughs> totally accidental. There was, a, there was a guy working in a lab, and there were microwaves around, and he had a chocolate bar in his pocket, and it started melting. And he thought, exactly, uh-oh. He thought, uh-oh, we're going to find out what's going on here. Turns out it was the microwaves that I thought were real dangerous, but that's okay, uh, released in the room that were melting the chocolate bar. So he is, he's, he's created a box that could you know, pummel some food with some microwaves and patented it in 1945. And that's why you have a microwave oven today, because of an accident. Uh, other things created by accident, post-it notes, popsicles, children. <laughs> Where, where's the rim shot when you need it? <laughs> Children failed to make my list of things created by accident, mostly to spare the feelings of our children. Uh, popsicles. Penicillin. Potato chips created by accident. Somebody sliced the chips too thin. And last but not least, chocolate chip cookies. Elizabeth Graves, I'm a trivia nerd, so bear with me for a second. Elizabeth Graves, who, who owned and operated the Toll House Inn. She was trying to make a batch of chocolate cookies, but she didn't have enough chocolate. So she got one of the chocolate bars that a friend of hers, whose last name was Hershey, sold she got a chocolate bar, and she thought, well, we're just going to go with the recipe, but let's just, let's just chop these things up and just put them in there. And uh, long story short, people like them. People like chocolate chip cookies, but created entirely by accident. So I'm not saying today that good things can't happen by accident. They can. Even good things in our spiritual lives can happen without our intention, right? We can have really great, deep spiritual conversations that lead someone else into a closer awareness, a closer relationship with the Lord without really even meaning to. But today we're going to talk about becoming intentional, not accidental disciples of Jesus, right? So when it comes to disciple making, it's, it's, not, it's not enough just to live by accident, right? We have to be intentional. Jesus was intentional. Jesus was intentional about the people that he surrounded himself with. I think it's real important to remember that uh, I think Jesus is the prime example of this. You, you're choosing your friends that you want to walk together with. But when you're choosing those friends, sometimes they're challenging, right? I think that's a part of the whole equation, right? It's not enough just to choose friends that you enjoy being around. That's fun, and that's great, but oftentimes that, you know, if we stay at that level where we're just together because we just like each other, there's nothing wrong with liking each other, but we also need to be able to challenge one another. And sometimes, as you know, the most challenging people are the ones that bring out the best things in you, ultimately, right? Even if you do choose friends that you enjoy being around, you don't always enjoy being around the people you've chosen, right? Jennifer? Right. She chose me a long time ago, 
and doesn't always enjoy that. (laughs) 90%, hey, if I'm baseball, I'm in the Hall of Fame like a bunch of times over. 90%, I'm batting 900 right now. Um, So Jesus had his disciples. They were willing to follow him. They were willing to to walk with him and and to be there for him, sometimes not as much or as often as he would have liked. But they weren't perfect in that. And Jesus didn't always enjoy being around them is the impression I'm getting. Like when he says things like, do I have to put up with you one more day? When are you ever going to get this? I thought we went through this. Anthony, it's almost like having children. It really is. But Jesus had to be intentional about living life with them because making disciples is intentional. Making disciples is intentional. So, uh, Nate, do we have that graphic of where, kind of where we are in this, in this series? So we, we talked last week about being relational. Did I give you that? I didn't give you that. So there's a cool graphic. <laughs> yeah, Nate's like, he's going to come up and draw it on the screen. It's okay, we'll put white out on it later. No one will notice. Um, so sorry, Nate. Uh, so... Making disciples is intentional. Uh, Disciple making requires purposeful activities that we engage into um, that will help us to grow spiritually. In order to grow spiritually, we need to be not only supported, but we need to be challenged. We need somebody there for us when times are rough, when we don't understand what's happening, when we're needing some advice, or we're needing to know, gosh, what's going on with the Lord? I'm not hearing from him. Can I get some help? We need that support, but we also need the challenge that comes when we think we got it all together, but maybe kind of we don't, or we've become a little arrogant. We've become a little bit full of ourselves. No one else but me is like that, I know, but sometimes we get a little bit too high on our horse. We get on our high horse and we need someone who's able to challenge us to say, hey, I hear the Lord saying this, or hey, I would watch out if I were you because I see where that might be headed and I want better for you. The best way to be both supported and challenged is to surround yourself with people. They bring out the best and the worst in you and sometimes you just need both. So we have to be intentional Because if we don't make something intentional, then it becomes conditional, right? If I'm not set out to do something and I know where I'm headed, then situations change. My feelings change. My motivation level changes. And then my actions become an outcropping of the situation rather than my purpose, right? So we can't make our lives, our spiritual lives, conditional. I'm going to follow God just when I'm feeling it. That's not going to work. We have to make our spiritual lives intentional. So I want to point out the intentional spirituality, the intentional practices that Jesus went through. So Jesus had four intentional practices that formed the basis of his spiritual life. And as his disciples, they're kind of the model for our spiritual lives as well. And they're real basic things. Here's four things Jesus did constantly. Number one, Jesus prayed. Two, Jesus knew the scriptures. Number three, he shared his life with a small group. And fourthly, he served others. Those four things you see throughout the life of Jesus, throughout his ministry, without fail. He prayed, he knew the word, he shared his life with a small group of people, sometimes even if he didn't really 
want to because they were terrible. He served others. Jesus was intentional. And he's always instructed his followers to be the same way. And we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 10, verses 5 through 10. This is, we, we were referencing this a few weeks back when, uh, when Jesus was commissioning them two by two to go, to go out and to minister in his name. He said, I'm going, I'm going to be there where you're going, but I want you to go out ahead of me and pave the way. And here's a portion of what he was instructing them to do. He said, when you enter a house seeking lodging, say, peace on this house. If a child of peace, one who welcomes God's message of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, don't worry. Nothing's wasted. Stay where you are welcomed. Become a part of the family, eating and drinking whatever they give you. You're my workers, and you deserve to be cared for. Again, don't go from house to house, but settle down in a town and eat whatever they serve you. Heal the sick and say to the townspeople, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So there are... Uh, there are a couple of things there, very specifically, as we break it down, that Jesus is instructing them to do and instructing us to do as his disciples. The very first thing is to speak peace, to speak peace. Uh, in verse 6, it's translated in some, in some versions as a son of peace or a child of peace, right? If a child of peace, one who welcomes God's message of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. So Jesus says that we'll come across people in our lives and they will be a person of peace. They'll be a person who, and you felt this, right? I know you have. You felt, sometimes we call it, I just felt the connection with that person. I just clicked with that person. I, I, there was something, something in the spirit. You know, so we, had, we just had this spiritual connection, right? That's a person of peace. That's a person who spiritually God is connecting you to because the Christ in you meets the Christ in them and it's mixed in with your personalities and your, your history. Sometimes, sometimes it's, a, it's a different, like a very different person than you are, but something in your spirit connects with their spirit and you know it when you find it. That's the person of peace. You feel a connection. You feel an openness. Uh, you can be vulnerable with them. They can be vulnerable with you. And there's a peace that comes from that. And then they, they give you an opportunity to speak into their lives. And you feel comfortable with them speaking into your life. And I think when we're talking about finding a person of peace, it's really important to remember that, especially in a church context, I just want to give you permission it is okay to be closer to some people in here than to other people, all right? I think we feel when we come into church, like, oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta be completely bonded to everyone. That's, that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure to put on anybody, right? We want to love everyone, but we don't have to be besties with everyone, right? We need to love one another. We need to speak peace to one another. We need to be there for one another and to be there in each other's hour of need. And I've seen that over the last year being here at, at Liberty Hill. I've seen people post something on social media like, hey, guys, I'm in, I'm in need of this. Can somebody come? And within like minutes, you got people from this church family saying, yeah, what do you need? I'll be there in five minutes. Here I come, you know. And I know, I see the connection. I think, yeah, they don't, I don't think they hang out a lot, but that person is there when there's, a, when there's an hour of need because we're connected in the spirit here. We want to serve one another. We want to serve with one another and make sure that we're taken care of. 
It doesn't mean that everybody in here is completely, totally uh, best friends with everybody else. And I just want to say that's okay. There's, there's a precedent for that with Jesus, right? We love everyone, but honestly, we don't really get everyone, right? Like, I, I hope that you guys all love me, but I know that there's, there, we might get into conversations, you're leaving, and you're like, I don't get that guy. Oh, yeah. you sit, thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all week, folks. So I, I wish we had bouncers to get the hecklers out. I really do. But, oh, yeah, but we don't. So we, we, have, to, uh, we have to remember, like in Jesus' life, he wasn't besties with everybody. He was, he had, here's what he had. He had thousands of followers. He had 12 disciples. He had two close friends. And he had John. Right? Or uh, according to John, he had John. <laughs> John's like, yeah, so yeah, the one who Jesus loved. It's me. It's me. But following Jesus means that we're always looking for that person of peace. Because God wants to connect us spirit to spirit with a person who he's kind of predestined for us to have a connection with and to be able to speak and release life into them and vice versa, okay? So the first thing he's saying in this scripture is speak peace. The second thing is build relationship. Verses 7 through 9, they're an instruction about building meaningful relationships with people. And if, if you go through there, he breaks it down into a few things, but basically he's talking about being willing to receive from others. Go in, eat whatever they offer you. Be willing to receive. Be willing to receive from people. I'm terrible at that. I will tell you, right, Jennifer? Yes, thank you. Um, she's like, yes, and other things. But I'm, but I'm terrible at receiving. I'm learning because I feel like I don't, want to, I don't want to put anybody out, you know? I don't, I don't want to be a burden to anyone. I got this. How many of you are I got this people? Yeah, I got this. I don't need anybody. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm good when I know that I'm in need and could really use something. That's, that's not where God wants me to be. God wants me to be in a place where I can say, yeah, you know, I know in general I'm good, but here's a need that I have right now, and I... I'm, I'm open to you meeting that need. Jesus is instructing his disciples here, be willing to receive. It's really hard to be in a close relationship with someone who won't let you help them. Right? You can't be in a relationship with someone. That's like, that feels unequally yoked, right? That other person then feels like, I'm always the one with the problems. They're always the one who's got it together. They never need anything. Or you can see that they need something and they won't let you help. So be willing to receive. Be willing to receive. That's the kind of heckling I appreciate all the time. That is good, right? He's talking about sharing meals together. Sharing meals or coffees. That's one of the, that's one of the wonderful, like, coffee is a great conversational lubricant, right? You, you just sit and have coffee with people, and it's like, well, we're going to be here for the next probably 20 minutes or so. I guess we should talk about something. You know, and things just begin to happen, and then you get caffeinated. And you get like, and you just have to talk about something. So that's really good. Um, so disciple making involves like practical everyday life experiences. 
we're not talking about disciple making as a class that we need to go through so that we can get enough information that we can have everything for everybody all the time. We're talking about bringing God into our everyday life. And instead of trying to plant information in people, trying to plant a seed of the gospel and then being around to water it. That's what we're talking about. The third thing he tells him is heal sickness. Be ready at any moment to spot needs. And I got to tell you, we, when I say heal sickness, some of you probably are like, oh, whoa, my stress level just went up because I, I don't know about like laying hands on people and seeing like miraculous things and seeing, I don't, maybe, maybe we, you don't have faith for that right now and that's okay. Maybe it's a little intimidating to think about, oh, well, I, I, maybe I don't know how to pray for somebody who's sick. I got to tell you this, anything that somebody's living in that is not what God planned for them is a sickness. It's a dis-ease. It's keeping them from being at peace. And we need to be willing to meet those needs. As we're in relationship with people, we grow to see their needs. Oh, that person's feeling sad today. That's a sickness. That's a sickness because it's keeping them in a position of dis-ease where they can't really live the way God's calling them to live today. Right? Yes, if somebody's got something physically wrong with their body, that's a sickness. We can pray for that. We can declare God's peace, and we can declare God's healing power to move in somebody's life. We can absolutely do that. Jesus commands us to. But we don't need to just reserve all of our prayers and support for the big things. We need to pray for those, but also, somebody's a little bit down today, that's a sickness. We need to pray for them too. We need to let them know that they are taken care of. We need to let them know that their needs are seen. And that's when God can use us to become instruments of healing in the everyday, in the everyday life. Some of the most effective healing actually comes through long-term loving relationships. Now, the fourth thing uh, God, uh, Jesus tells him to do here, he says, number four, tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. The kingdom of God is near you now. So here's the proper progression according to Jesus. You speak peace, you build relationship, you heal sickness, addressing needs, and then you declare the kingdom of God is near you now. Some people will do it the other way around, right? They will walk into somebody who has no grid for it and declare to them, the kingdom of heaven is with you now. And that person's like, you are crazy. Yeah, I don't get that. I don't, what are you talking about? This is weird. But if you've shown it, if you've demonstrated it, uh, we used to have this old adage when I was teaching, like people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And honestly, when you're teaching high school, sometimes even then, they don't, they don't, they don't care. But you got a much better shot if you treat it like show and then tell. Show and tell. So Jesus tells us, speak peace, build relationship, heal sickness and meet needs, and then declare the kingdom of heaven is here among you. Because honestly, if you've done those things, the kingdom of heaven is there, right? We have to set this up so that when we're declaring the kingdom of heaven is here, they've seen it and they know what that looks like. So uh, uh, Paul is actually challenging the church in Corinth to be intentional as well. We're going to read in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. It says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, 
but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that won't last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer just beating the air. I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul is saying here, in short, we don't run or fight or live for Christ aimlessly. Three things that we should not do without aim. If you run without aim, you run into stuff. Just, that's painful, right? So if you're going to run without aim, then do it in a big open field. That way you won't run into things. If we fight without aim, then we waste a lot of energy because we're swinging at things that we will never hit. We'll never connect with any of our punches, and we're wasting our effort. And he says the same thing's true for our lives with Christ. We don't need to do them aimlessly. We don't need to live for God aimlessly. Strict training is what's required of people who want to grow spiritually. And that means it's going to affect our schedule. It's going to affect our focus. It's going to, it, it's going to be inconvenient at times. But Paul is encouraging us, you know what? It's worth it. Go through some inconvenience to see the kingdom of God established. It is worth it. I mean, it's great to win a crown for a race that you run in in the physical world. That's amazing. That's awesome. It's great to win a fight but, and get a medal for it. I'm talking about boxing, not like bar fights. That, that, that's not great. You know. And then nobody gives you a medal for those either. Right? They just kick you out. Um, but, but it's... It's great to win those temporary, like, crowns, but Jesus is, and, and Paul is, is telling us here, let's train ourselves strictly in our discipline of following Jesus. Let's train ourselves strictly as disciples, because that produces a crown that can't be taken away. So Paul is talking there about, like, I'm beating my own body into submission. I'm making it a, making it a slave. And it's really important to remember that, like, sometimes the biggest war is not against the devil. We feel like it is. It's really easy to say, well, the devil made me do this. devil made me do that. He hates me. He's trying to do bad things to me, trying to make me do bad things. Honestly, sometimes the worst things I've done were because I wasn't in control of myself. Some of the most, some of the dumbest and most off-task things that I could have ever done was because, no one because of the devil. The devil, devil was just going to leave me alone. I was doing all the work on my own, right? But the most off-task things that I've done in my life are because I wasn't mindful of what I was doing with my life. I used to teach this class called Teen Leadership, and in there, first week, uh, we tell the students, there are only three things in your life that you are in control of. Only three. Everything else, I, I would say everything else is up to God, but in the classroom, we had to say everything else is not under your control. There are three things you are in charge of in your life, and only three. God allows us this. You are in control of your thoughts. There's scripture backing for that. You are in control of your attitudes, and you are in control of your actions. And honestly, if you can be in control of your thoughts, then your attitudes and your actions take care of themselves. If you can be in control of your thoughts, then you won't develop negative attitudes, wrong attitudes, incorrect attitudes, because your thoughts will be under control. And it's our constant ruminating on stuff that God doesn't want us to think about that causes us to have attitudes. 
And those attitudes, when we operate out of them, they lead to actions, right? So we're only doing the things that we've been thinking about all the time. So we're in control of three things, our thoughts, attitudes, and actions. And when we stop being intentional in any of those areas, we run the risk of disqualifying ourselves from the prize that Paul's talking about. I'm going to read uh, 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. He's saying here, disciple-making is about training each other in godliness, not just about trying to be godly, right? Best laid plans of mice and men often go awry and lead to uh, something bad instead of the promised joy. I cannot remember what Robert Burns said, but... We make our own plans, right? We, we, we live sometimes by accident, and, and we try to be godly. But that's an external show of what God wants to do in us internally. We should be doing out of our state of being, not the other way around. So train, uh, making, making disciples is about training each other in godliness, not about trying to be godly. We're going to read uh, in 2 Timothy, verses 1 through 6. Paul's got a lot to say on this. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. He's talking about a life of consistency and reproduction, and he mentions three different professions here, right? He talks about the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. And if any professions understand the concept of delayed gratification, it's those three, right? We train day in and day out, doing the hard work. We sweat now so we won't bleed later, right? That's, that's the mindset here. The soldier, the athlete, the farmer, they plant, they sow, they train, they work, not for what's happening right here in this moment because this moment is hard, but they're setting themselves up to be ready in the future. They're planting seeds now that don't grow till later. They're doing drills now so that they'll know what to do when there's real pressure on Right? They're training now and, 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 and running and lifting and all that so that when the competition comes, they'll be ready to roll. Delayed, delayed gratification, daily diligence, those things are necessary over a long period of time if we want to walk in victory, achieve the prize, and bring in the harvest that God wants us to bring in. Right? So Paul was embracing a real strategic model of spiritual growth. I'm going to uh, close with this here real quick. And it's a, kind of a starter plan for intentional disciple-making here at our church. It's basically three things. I'm going I'm to explain a little bit about each, each one of these. So disciple-making basics. Number one, find your people of peace. We're going to stop right there for a second. Disciple-making basics. As we're moving forward into the culture of being disciples and making disciples, really, really important 
to prayerfully consider and think deeply about who God's leading you to practice the ways of Jesus with, right? I know that we're all gathered here in church together, but this is not like a small group. It's really hard to disciple one another in a group this size. God is going to lead you specifically to people, one or two or three or five. I don't know. I mean, he'll figure it out. But he's going to lead you specifically to those people of peace, those people that you click with, those people you connect with, those people who can be your John, right? Jesus had John, probably a couple others, but John wouldn't tell you so. So find your people of peace. Pray and think deeply about those that God is really connecting you to. And don't pray more than think. Because sometimes when, we get, when we're just thinking about it, we end up gravitating towards those people that we, that we would gravitate towards anyway. Sometimes when we pray, God leads us into relationships that we didn't expect. And those are the, oftentimes the most fruitful. So pray about who you're going to practice the ways of Jesus with closely. And the second thing is attend a weekly group. Sit together at church. Wow, we need to create space for practicing the ways of Jesus together. I've been thinking about it this way, actually. Um, We need to find a way for everybody in this church to get relationships that are kind of two levels removed from what we're doing right here. This is one level of relationship with one another. We're all in a big, we're in a big room, we're a big group, we're, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're all worshiping together, we're all listening to the word, we're all, we're all here, and that's great, but it's really hard to get close in a, in a group of this size. So we go to small groups. I want everybody to belong to a small group. I think it's important because that's where you have closer contact with people. You get to know people. You get to get to hear their stories. You get to live life together a little bit more. And that's amazing. That's one level removed from this. But I think the real magic happens the next level over. When you're at that small group, you get to see people. You get to hear from them in ways that you haven't before. You make a connection with them, and that's when God highlights them to you and says, hey, that might be your person of peace. That might be somebody that you need to connect with outside of this small group. That's two levels removed from here. It takes intention. It takes focus. It takes living on purpose, not just accidentally hoping that God will do something when we come here and then we leave and we don't see each other for another week. So we're talking about getting two levels removed. So we have church, then we have small groups, but then we get to close friendships. And that's where the real disciple-making really happens because we're vulnerable with each other. We found our person of peace. We have somebody that we, we have the person we know we can call. We have the people we know we can invite over when we're, when we're going through something. And we know that we'll be there when they just call us up and say, hey, we've been walking together for years. Here's something I really need today, right? The close friendships, that's where we need to end up. And then the third thing, connect and lean into relationships. And this sometimes gets into just a couple of a couple of important practices. We can't get into deeper relationships on the on the level of, hey, how's it going? Fine. Awesome. That's really great. We can't have relationships built on how you doing? Fine. God's calling us to go deeper than that, to really get to know one another. And good questions are a part of that. 
challenging questions. Hey, what's bringing you joy right now? Are, is there something that you're needing prayer for right now? Do you have a need? Is there something that you're afraid of? You know, what's challenging for you right now? What's one thing I can pray about for you this week? What are you really needing from God? Those are great questions that get people beyond just fine, right? And then second thing was we need to be honest and encourage. Uh, when someone's asking you a real question, be honest. Give them a real answer. How you doing? Fine. If fine is not how you're doing, don't say fine. Don't be reserved to that. Don't be satisfied with that. If they ask, they better know that you're going to give them a real answer. How you doing? Okay, sit down. Here we go. <laughs> how much time you got? Right? But that's how relationships happen. That's how we get to know one another. That's how we get to really see needs and be instruments of healing. Right? Be joyful about the good things. If things are going great, don't hold that back either. How you doing? Fine. When really you just got an amazing promotion and your kids are all doing great, excited about what God's doing in your life, again, don't be reserved to just being fine. That doesn't help anyone. That keeps everybody at arm's length. We need to let each other know how we were really doing, right? But even in the tough things, got to be honest, but we can't get stuck in a complaint loop because that doesn't help people either. We need to be honest about the way things are, but we don't need to be negative and projecting about the way we see them going when we're in a bad attitude. We need to be able to speak the truth that God speaks over us. We need to be able to receive encouragement and be willing to encourage someone else who seems to need it. 